Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth from Forbes. <laughs> oh, I'm Rebecca Lindland from Rebecca Drives. I keep forgetting I'm second. We're have to work on this. <laughs> and I'm Sam Abual-Samet from Guidehouse Insights. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome to episode 159. We're going to keep it uh, tight. I promise. I, I promise. So let's talk about what we're driving. Uh, Sam, we had promised that every episode for the last 158. Listen, uh, it is 1145 a.m. on Tuesday morning right now. We're going to we're going to get this done. Uh, All right. So, Sam, since you're giving me crap, uh, what are you what are you driving? What have you been driving? So I had the BMW 228i xDrive Grand Coupe, uh, yet another in BMW. Very fancy. Kind of of uh, of overly complex uh, names. But um, was so it Das Scheiß? <laughs> yeah, B, currently in the BMW lineup, in the in the two series lineup, there are two very distinctly different vehicles. And when I say different, I mean like they are completely different. There is, you know, there's the two series um, coupe and convertible, which is built on a rear drive platform, <clears throat> which I think is shared uh, largely with three series. And then there's the two series Grand Coupe. Um, and also in Europe, there are other variants as well, which are actually built on a transverse engine front wheel drive platform that is shared with Mini. It's the same platform used for the Mini Countryman. Um, and so it's also used for the X1 and the X2 uh, and a few other things that we don't get here. So the Grand Coupe is on this transverse engine front drive platform. Um, nice, you know, four door, um, you know, fast back sedan, uh, you know, Decent, decent styling, you know, not nothing too exciting. It uh, doesn't have a, an excessively large grill. Um, and, you know, it, it looks fine. Interior is nice enough. Typical, you know, modern BMW. Um, and the engine, you know, the powertrain is the two-liter turbo, uh, four-cylinder, 228 horsepower, and all-wheel drive. So for the U.S. market, it's only available with all-wheel drive. There's no front-wheel drive version offered here of the, the two series Grand Coupe. You can also get it as a, as a 235, uh, which has 300 horsepower. Um, but the, you know, the, the base version, you know, is, is adequate. You know, the performance wasn't really a problem with this. I, I had no complaints about the least the acceleration performance and braking steering was kind of numb and non-existent. Um, you know, nothing, nothing much there. Uh, you know, didn't really have any opportunity to evaluate the, you know, the extra traction capabilities of, of the all-wheel drive. My big complaint about this thing is, you know, like so many modern BMWs, is it's really expensive for what you're getting. Uh, you know, base price on the 228 starts at 37.5, and the one I had was about forty-nine thousand dollars. That's a lot know, of money a- for a Dodge Dart. <laughs> yeah, it is, you know. Um, you know, and you know when you when you look at the specs, you know, this car is almost exactly the same size, you know, similar wheelbase and and so on. 
to cars like the Honda Civic and the Mazda 3 sedan. Um, in fact, the, the Mazda 3 has actually got slightly more room inside and, and a, actually a notably bigger trunk. Um, and currently, you know, the, the Mazda 3 sedan, uh, the, the top end version of that is the, uh, the premium, which uh, with all wheel drive, uh, and currently there's only one engine in there, that's, that's the 2.5 liter naturally aspirated four cylinder, uh, 186 horsepower. That one with all-wheel drive is $29,000, and that's loaded, and it's got everything in it. Uh, that, that yeah, but on. you're driving a Mazda as opposed to a BMW. So when you go into the bar to impress the chicks, it's not going to happen. True. <laughs> but I don't go into the bar to impress the chicks. Well, I will say. I want a car to, that I actually enjoy driving. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, Mazda this fall will have, the 2.5 liter turbo that's in the CX-9 and the CX-5 uh, and also in the, uh, the Mazda 6 coming to the Mazda 3. So you'll have a 250 horsepower all-wheel drive Mazda 3 that I think arguably has an actually nicer interior. Uh, I think that the design has probably more character than the, the 228. Um, and, you know, it's probably going to cost about $32,000, dollars because the, yeah. the Mazda 6 turbo is thirty-five, So it's probably going to be, you know, in that price range. So five grand less than the base price of the 228. I agree with you. The pricing, it's funny that you mentioned pricing because I was just putting up my review of the Cadillac XT6 and Nicole Wakeland had driven the X, the BMW X7 and her, and she put her review up on my site and it was like a hundred and something thousand dollars. <laughs> and the Cadillac was like my, my test version tapped out at 63,000 and the XT6 tops out at about 72 ish. Mm-hmm. And while the X7 is bigger, it still really struck me that that's a, an enormous, I mean, that's another half a car difference is $30,000 difference. And I don't know that you're getting $30,000 worth of value. Especially, you know, I haven't driven the X7 yet, but, you know, certainly with the 228, I don't see that you're actually getting, you know, even five or $10,000 worth of, of extra value, you know, aside from, you know, the cachet of it having that, that BMW badge on it, you know, that twin kidney grill. You should feel that though. Like you should feel that you are in this a BMW. You should feel that you should have that experience when you're driving a BMW, that should be something that comes through every time in my mind. And, and in the two, the 228, you know, more so, I think, you know, in the two series coupe, um, you know, that is, that is definitely more the case. You know, it, it feels more lively, you know, it, of all current BMWs, you know, um, that I've driven, the two series coupe is actually probably my favorite. It's the most, it's got that, that classic BMW feel to it, you know, lighter, nimbler, you know, the, the, the Grand Coupe, it just, I don't know, it doesn't have that feel to it. So is this almost like a stepping stone car? Like if I, if I sort of squint at this, you can see that BMW is working a bit to evolve their design language because it's different proportions. This is front wheel drive. Um, and they still, they're trying to find where that, that lower sort of rung of their cars are that, that entry level, this would be the three series. 
um, which has sort of grown and gotten more expensive. It's still an icon, but they, they need something to, to fill in that, that slot that the three series filled for so long. And, and so I'm wondering if that's what, what this car is sort of meant to, to do as they're working to establish the, the two series, um, sort of sedan, grand coupe, whatever else they want, however else they want to make it. Um, <clears throat> but you know, you can, you can see that they're, they're working some things out and on the, on the website, you know, they show the premium models, which I think they look pretty good. They probably also cost like seven. Yeah, it, look, it looks, it looks fine. Um, you know, I have, I, yeah, it's you know, I think it's a little more plain, yeah, you know, than you know, three series or or five series. But you know, I I don't have any real complaints about the design. It's just you know, the driving experience in it doesn't really excite me. Yeah, well, I think you that's know? sort of that's where it, it it needs to not fall down, right? It can't it can't drive like an economy car. It's got to be the ultimate driving machine. Yeah, or, <laughs> it has to like, live up, regardless of the size of these vehicles. It has to live up to that tagline. It's got to remind and, you and of a 2002 you know, or a, a lot 325. of BMWs fail have failed to do that over the past decade. Yeah, well, because yeah. that's not what they're about anymore. And if you want yeah. that, that's Mazda. If you want a 2002, go buy a Mazda three, like you were saying, or the Mazda six. Like that's going to give you that that feeling. Not so much the uh, the the you know, the two or the three series, the three series will give you a little bit of that, but I, I, yeah, I the, the new three bit. series is definitely a step, a step up yeah. compared to the previous generation. I think we also have to make the note that most BMWs are leased. The, yeah, and the, so that's, that's you know, so that's a different price point than, I mean, I realize the MSRP still comes into play, but you know, that is something to think about too, that most of these vehicles are leased. And I would think that you can probably get a, you know, a gently used one for a pretty good price. Yeah. Well, yeah. You could probably lease a used one for, uh, yeah. <laughs> but they're, they're leased by the, that guy at the bar who wants to impress the chicks. Like you're talking exactly. about. Like, exactly. It, it, it is like <laughs> some of this end of the market is going to be people looking for a, a performance bargain and they're going to buy the, the, the hot rod version. Um, and I don't, I don't necessarily mean performance bargain because it's still going to be expensive, but they're, they're looking for that. But the, the other buyer is the one who just buys it because of the brand and because they like the tech that's in it or something. You know, how, how is the tech, by the way? How is iDrive and all that stuff? And it has light-up trim. Does it have the light-up trim? Uh, no, this one did not. Ah. Um, but the, uh, you know, the, the iDrive, you know, was basically the same in this as what you'd find in pretty much any other modern BMW, which is good. I mean, it, it's a good system. Um, you know, it has, uh, this one has the, um, the My BMW uh, assistant in there. So, um, you know, you can, as you're driving along, you don't have to find the, the voice button on the steering wheel. You know, just say, you know, my, hey, uh, hey BMW, you know, uh, turn up the volume, turn, you know, I'm cold, turn down the temperature, things like that. Um, so it's, it's actually a pretty good system. You know, it does, you know, various controls. So you don't even have to mess with the, um, with the control knob. Uh, so that, that system actually works really well. And, you know, if you're looking, you know, if you're doing navigation, uh, it will, you know, you, it, it's got, I wouldn't, you know, it's not true natural language, but it's a lot closer to natural language processing. You know, so you don't have to go through a whole bunch of steps to enter a navigation, uh, command, you know, just say, you know, to, you know, navigate home, you know, or navigate to Whole Foods, you know, and then, you know, and if there's multiple choices, it'll show, you know, show the list on the screen, say pick one, 
but you know, if, if there's, if you give it a specific address, you know, it will do that in, in one, um, in one sequence. It, you don't have to go through multiple steps to do it, which has long been the complaint with voice control systems and cars is, you know, having to remember the exact syntax and going through multiple steps of, you know, what's the house number? What's the street number? What's, what's city? It's you know, like being on a nonsense. phone tree. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, these, you know, modern vehicles, you know, have the ability to do much closer to natural language voice processing and makes them a lot more useful um, and a lot more effective. Okay. So the final verdict, though, sounds like just buy the Mazda 3 with the turbo when it comes here and don't don't spend your cash on the BMW. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, if, if, you, if what you want is a BMW badge, fine, you know, go for it. But if you actually want what a BMW used to represent in terms of driving capabilities, then, you know, maybe wait for the Mazda. Okay. All right. Let's, uh, let's jump on. Let's move on. Um, uh, Rebecca, your turn. You were driving the XT6. You mentioned it. I actually had an XT6 uh, back in the before times. Um, <laughs> we, we took it to uh, Manhattan actually last oh, summer funny. and it's a little big for that, but it's it's narrowish. It's not like driving a Suburban or a Tahoe in town. So I actually thought it was great for that. It was great on the highway. Um, I I had the Platinum, so it's a little. It was more than the one you you've got. Um, and I kind of struggled with the value a little bit, just like we are with the, the BMW. But I want I want your take on it. Uh, and we there's a link we'll put in the the show as well to um, Rebecca Drives for the XT6 Premium review. Thank you. Yes. So yeah, so so I was actually in a unique position, hopefully a unique position of actually really needing this car because I didn't have power and I didn't have internet after Tropical Storm, Isaysa or Aziza or whomever, (laughs) him. Uh, And so I was delighted when this vehicle showed up the day after the storm because I know it has a Wi-Fi hotspot. So I didn't actually track my fuel economy on this one because I spent so much time idling (laughs) in the car. I will say it's fuel economy is about what you can expect from something that size. It's going to be in the, the 20s. Yeah, it's rated for 17 high, uh, 17 uh, city, 24 highway, 20 combined, which I would say I actually got pretty close to that, which is impressive considering how much that's what I should have said is it's impressive considering how much I had it idling while I checked email and, and you know, just getting online and everything. So, you know, this is one of those things where this is a product where I feel like it did a lot of things really, really well and with minimal drama. And I appreciated that given, especially given the circumstances that I was in where my mom didn't have power, my mom and my sister, they lived together. Her house didn't have power. My brother didn't have power. I didn't have power. And this went on for days and days and days. And so, you know, being able to charge my phone, being able to get online with the Wi-Fi hotspot was really a big thing and and a big help. And so, you know, it's it's one of those extras that, that GM has offered for years and I don't think gets enough credit for. So once I was out on the road in the in the XT6, um, you know, overall it's a really good, good. I would say mid-size plus is how I saw it described, which I thought was a good description of it. I mean, it's the nicest traverse there is. Well, well, but, actually, it's you know, it's actually based on the XT5, not the traverse platform. 
Uh, well, so stretch that. Oh, there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, it, it, it did. I thought it drove well, especially in sport mode. Yes. Yes, for sure. I mean, there, you know, I, I took, I went down to JFK to pick up my sister when she and her husband and, and daughter flew in from Florida or Kentucky rather um, they were on vacation. Uh, she was at a, like a horse camp kind of thing. And, you know, it was very easy to load, load and unload the bags, you know, very comfortable in the back. My niece was able to charge all, all of their devices because they were going home to a dark house. And so I do think that, you know, from a driving and, and overall, just a, a, an ownership, a week, one week of ownership experience, I think it just did a lot of things really well. You know, it was things were ergonomic where I wanted them to be. I would not have minded more USB ports and maybe, you know, maybe the upper trims uh, do that. This was the premium, which I think is kind of in the middle. The base of the, of the car is 58,000. And then this was had a as tested with 63, almost 64,000. So it didn't have a ton of accoutrements, but that's okay. I mean, if you want even more, you can get this up to 73,000, as I mentioned. But, you know, the, the the fit and finish was really nice. I'm not crazy about the shiny interior. I like to have a matte finish more. And that was a, a part of the review that I had to take out because I'm confined to 200 words. <laughs> but, so the only thing that I would have liked and I would have preferred for a, a little bit more upscale feel is a, a matte finish Shiny on, on, the, the, on the trim you mean like on the, the trim yeah. right on the trim so it still has that uh you know like the how like the piano black this this wasn't piano black but it, it it's shiny i mean it's yeah. basically it's shiny and it, and it has that kind of shiny feel i like that matte soothing open pour wood kind of yeah. experience well, this, a little bit more yeah, and i'm looking at the pictures too like it actually looks like it's it's wood too it's just um it's been varnished right <laughs> yeah know? it's grain like it has a grain yeah so uh, facade to it you know before. and again i mean it's nice it was you know the buttons and the switches were fine they were where they were supposed to be i uh, it had a, a very, very good, very handy wireless charging slot uh, that worked really, really well. Even when I have one of those, uh, you know, finger hold things on the back of my phone. Yeah. That do, and so a lot of wireless chargers don't work with it. But this one did really well. Eight-inch screen. The, the screen did uh, get a lot of fingerprints on it, which was sub-op. But, you know, uh, uh, overall, it was, it was nicely done. I thought that the V6 engine responded really, really well. Plenty of power whenever I wanted it. I really, you know, I enjoyed the driving experience with it. And one of the things that, um, and just for clarity, it has 310 horsepower as I dug through their site to find, to discover <laughs> a nine-speed automatic. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that this, the... I think overall driving this Cadillac XT6 was just a good solid experience for me. And I enjoyed it. I think it's a really good family car. I think it's, you know, the price point for what you're getting, I feel like is actually pretty good. It's expensive. It's a Cadillac. It's supposed to be expensive, but I felt like overall it really lived up to the name. Yeah. I, so I liked it. I, I struggled a little bit more with it um, living up to its name. I did think it does drive very well. Um, I thought the interior and the one I had didn't have even the contrasting color. Like you had brown seats with the contrast stitching. Mine was all black. And so, oh, that's brutal. Again, my complaint <laughs> about an all black interior, like, oh, okay, it's a 90 something thousand dollar car, but the, I can't tell you if it's good or bad, you know, 
like they feel okay, but just, you know how that, it, it just. I'm not crazy about black interiors yeah, for, at all. For me, like one of the things you're paying for is the design and the style and the colors and material choices. And if you go with all black, it, it's either like, well, you don't have any imagination or <laughs> like you're trying to hide something. Um, so that's, that's kind of on the people that spec the cars, uh, both for the fleet and for the dealers when the dealers are ordering inventory. Um, yes. You can get colors in these and it does, it looks a lot better. And and Cadillac has some really great color options yeah. for the interiors. Yeah, they, they do. And the other thing that that is of note, it doesn't affect the experience at all. But man, they love that emblem outline, that shield thing. Like that is everywhere. Well, that's, you know, like that's consistent branding. So I'll, I'll give them. Oh that. My um, God. I, I'm I'm still a little bit miffed. They took the merlets off. They keep taking elements off the the shield. Um, but that's okay. Um, yeah. But it is, I mean, you, that is reflected everywhere. Yeah. It's hilarious. It, I mean, it's, it's but. good looking. I, I think that it, it's going to struggle to compete with um, the navigator in terms of the first impression it makes. Cause the, the navigator, well, it's, just, and it's not really not the navigator. I'm sorry. The aviator. Uh, aviator. Yeah. Yeah. The aviator. Right. Yeah. Um, well, that's it. It's in an interesting niche though, because it's, it's a pretty comfortable seven seat. Yeah. I, but it's not huge. You know, it really is that kind of midsize plus. I mean, it's, it's, if you want a little bit more room, if you want, you know, a little bit more than a midsize, but not as big as something like the X7, the Escalade, the Navigator, this is that it slots in there kind of nicely, I think. Yeah. I feel like it's a great choice. It's a great size, Um, you know, especially where the way we both used it, right? Like, that's the perfect use case for these. And that's what people are doing with them. It's you're around town car. You know what? Yep. I got to go pick up a bunch of people. Cool. My car can do it. I've got extra seats. We're going to run to the airport. Like, yes. And last year, you know, um, last summer when I went on the, the launch drive for this thing in DC, I actually did sit in the third row or, you know, when we were coming back from dinner. Oh, wow. And, you know, because, you know, the, the proportions that they gave this thing, you know, it's a little bit taller than a navig than an aviator is. It's shorter. It's not as it's not as long, but it is a little bit taller. So you sit a little more upright. But you know, but that third row is actually pretty useful even for adults. I mean, I I wouldn't want to go on a long road trip, you know, sit, you know, sitting in the third row. I mean, I'm five eleven, uh, but you know, for you know, just to go out to dinner or something, you know, have you know three couples in there, not not a big deal. You could definitely do it. Yeah. No, I think I think I I really liked this size. It was easy for me to get in and out of also. The seats, you know, adjust 15,000 different ways. So the visibility was quite good as well. You know, I didn't have any issues with the A pillar. I mean, and and one of the things too is that I was literally dodging down trees <laughs> and branches at any moment because Greenwich, I mean, it looks like many tornadoes went through this place. And so, you know, all of a sudden I would so have could, to stop. You could, win, you could win a post-storm autocross with this thing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> no, it, it, but that was the surprising part was, you know, the, the chassis tuning and the steering feel and everything, especially when you put it in sport mode, if it had the yeah. um, adaptive. Uh, yeah, the different modes. You have drive modes for sure. Um, it, it felt like it was tuned by people who, who tune 
cars. Who care know? about it? Um, I, I, <laughs> man, I went right the hell up the merit on this thing uh, with. Uh, I mean, thank you for stopping by. <laughs> well, this is a year or something. Blah like blah blah uh, blah. <laughs> next time I will. We have to get pizza. Uh, <laughs> Excellent. Yes. <laughs> but uh, bring your own pepperoni, I, please. I used. <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> no pineapple. <laughs> I used every bit of the three hundred something horsepower. You know, and it's a rever, so you gotta you gotta get it up in the RPM range a little bit to make that to get that power, but. It just, it, you know, it, it feels pretty good. So I was impressed with it. Where I'm less impressed with it is the sort of the, I didn't like the capacitive touch stuff on the center console. Like it works and it's not bad uh, for what it is, but it's it, it's frustrating and distracting. Um, and then just some of the other switch gear that's around it and stuff. And just, so there's, they're for the money, you start to scratch your head, especially when you look at the competition and you go, well, this one feels nicer, whether or not it's actually nicer. Even, even just the, like the, tell you right uh yeah and we'll come back to those yeah, yeah i mean absolutely but i think on the switch is the only issue oh there i had two things i hated the fact and this is really stupid but i hated the fact that the uh volume was sideways it ran horizontally i really like vertical up and down oh, I, is, I, it, is I, it I like a rocker I, switch it, or a slider or something it's two separate buttons and they run horizontally on the right side of the steering wheel and I just, I hated that. It just, it was never something I could get used to. The other thing is the cruise control, putting it in, a, it doesn't default to adaptive cruise control. So you have to like ask it. And I've run into this with other GM products as well. And you've got to like press a button and then tap the top of your head and rub your belly at the same time and be driving simultaneously. Yeah. It was super complicated. And I... I, the first time, once I got it in adaptive cruise control, it seems to stay there, but it was, it was real. It was very, very distracting and it was really complicated. And I basically, I did it while I was on the highway, of course, because that's when you do these things, when you're trying to use adaptive cruise control, but I, and then I was thankful that I finally got it there because I just found it to be really, really distracting. And, and, and I don't know, have you guys, did you have that experience at all? I don't remember it being just difficult, weird? but there are some cars that it, it, it does like they have two different buttons and you've got to look and see which one and decipher that. Um, the Hyundai Ionic I drove last week, I think had the same thing um, where it was a button for cruise and different button for adaptive cruise. Uh, or maybe it was, it's the Ram and we'll get to everything I've been driving. Um, yes, I know. We do have to get to everything you've been briefly, driving. But uh, the, I don't remember it being that difficult. I do remember not liking the secondary controls that much. Maybe and, I just, it's not intuitive for me. And you know how I am with technology. Well, I can break it really that's, easily. When you're so. designing technology, that's your job is to make it easy for people who, yeah, right? who, who say <laughs> it should just work. Gonna, yeah. I just thought it would default. I, I can appreciate having the choice because yeah. I think there are a lot of people, I'm not a huge fan of adaptive cruise control. So I appreciate having the choice. My issue was that it was so complicated yeah. getting there. Yeah, and it's that adaptive was, cruise is pretty good, but it's not right for every situation. And that's the same with every car, you know, like exactly. sometimes right. you want regular cruise. <laughs> So what are what are you driving anyway? Uh, so this week I'm finishing up with a uh, Subaru Outback XT Onyx Edition. And oh my! My neighbor just bought a Subaru Outback on my recommendation. Subaru. Yeah, I mean it's 
It's a good wagon. It's priced well. This just send the check to RebeccaDrives.com. <laughs> exactly. This uh, <laughs> this one has the um, or advertising dollars. The Sorry, WRX that. engine. So the the X the uh, that's I think the the bigger change where before you had the the two point five liter that had like one hundred and eighty something horsepower. This gets the um, the turbo two point four that has two hundred and sixty something. So it's a, little, a lot more lively. It's actually pretty quick on its feet. Uh, which is an interesting trick with the CVT that is still, it's good, but it's still dopey because it's a CVT. Um, but it, it does, it has a powerful bit of torque to it that was missing from the last um, Legacy and and uh, Outback that I drove. So that's good. The powertrain has been upgraded. Uh, it looks good. It's pretty comfortable in this trim. Again, it's, it's priced pretty well. Uh, it doesn't drive great. <laughs> <laughs> That's my problem. <laughs> like it's a it's a solid platform. You can tell that they've done a lot of work to make sure that the body structure is pretty pretty rigid. Uh, so it it rides okay, but it's um it's it's bouncy is as my wife described it. You know, it, and it's it's sort of like a mid rise. You know, so it's not a full SUV, but they've taken a wagon and made it an SUV. Uh, and so they've they've added some some sort of nautical motion to the. <laughs> <laughs> to the suspension, which I don't really like. You know, it'll hang on if you if you make it. You know, uh, go through a set of curves. It'll it'll do fine. It's not it's not a bad. Is it underdamped or oversprung? It feels <laughs> oversprung. Like it's 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 not stiff in that sense, though. Like you know, like oversprung would imply that it's like harsh over bumps. It's not really. It's you know what it is. It's maybe it's um. Uh, not enough roll bar, <laughs> you know, like, uh, it just, it, it leans over, but it also like tosses your head around a little bit. Like, and that's, was what, this in every situation? Like when, like, n- no, I mean, do you think it's because it's, it's gotta have that like level of off-road or ruggedness to it? Uh, well, I think they've had to balance a lot of things, you know, it's got higher yeah. ride height. It's got to have, you know, compliance. It's okay. It's, it's, it's good over bad pavement. It's actually decent on like gravel roads and stuff. I, I, I thought it was actually quite in its element there. It felt really good. Um, so they've, they've had to make this all around her. And so in certain situations, you know, like the middle of a curve on a broken pavement back road here in new England, where there's like a zillion of that, uh, it, it will start to bounce your head around a little bit. And so it feels a little bit rough, but not harsh, which is, is, uh, we're, we're using all kinds of adjectives that don't make any sense. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I didn't love the ride. Um, and I didn't love the, the handling, uh, because I think it's it, it that's it's what it's supposed to be. It's it's trusty. It's not going to get you in trouble, so that's fine. Um, the on center feel, uh, like if you're on the highway or something, it, it it sort of wanders a bit, you know. And that's that's something that I, I think is probably a function of the tires and the tuning and all of that together. But really, when I'm on the highway, I want a car that like locks in, kind of like a mid seventies old Cutlass. Yeah, not quite as bad. You can't steer it with your pinky. <laughs> You know, like yeah, I'm sure that's what they were going fully for. Fully lock to lock. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's a good car. They really know their market. I love how Subaru is really. They've got a lot of thought put into the the way you can accessorize it for uh, the the stuff you're going to do with it. You know, and and so you can get the the different roof rack options and the different storage and and stuff like that. They're they're really dog friendly brand, which I think is is cool because um, when once you become a dog owner, this is one of those things that that nobody tells you. But once you become a dog owner like that, they are more precious to you than your children, and <laughs> you want to take them everywhere and do everything with them. And the, the cars uh, Subaru is a brand that's really attentive to that. 
Um, and I really liked the, I actually quite liked the interior in, in this one. Um, it has, uh, it's like their, their version of MP text. It's like super text or some star text or whatever, uh, upholsters. It's not leather, but it's not like cheap, cheap vinyl. It, it's a material that feels good to the touch. It looks good. Um, the seats are pretty comfortable in, in this, um, particular one. So, you know, I give it, I give it marks for design and interior quality, uh, which are two areas. Um, interior quality is an area that, that Subaru has just struggled with in the past. So they're, they're coming up on, on the competition there. The problem is ergonomics have taken a whack and Subaru has always been good with ergonomics, but they've got this new tablet size center screen that's like their version of Census and, uh, it's not any better. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I remember that thing. That thing is huge yeah. in the center. Yeah. yeah. Because well, I went I on this drive. 11-inch screen? It's, yeah, it's a big screen. It's nice when you do CarPlay. It, it, it uses a portion of the screen for CarPlay and still leaves some other stuff down below. But, you know, the secondary controls are confusing. And, um, you know. They, they do have a volume and tuning knob, They though, do. I will give which them. Which I do appreciate. Props for that. Uh, sometimes that volume knob became very unresponsive, so you'd just sit there spinning it, and you'd get oh. nothing. And then all of a sudden, you'd be like full blast, and then off, and it's just like yeah. So uh, it's a great way to want to punch the screen. <laughs> um, you know, I don't love the graphics on it. I, I think that uh, it, all automakers get a little too distracted making these things look uh, really sharp for presentations or brochures, and what is really necessary when you consider what you're asking people to do is take the colors out, increase the contrast. Don't get too fancy. Don't use animations and stuff and, and make these things really easy to glance at. And that's one of the problems I have is that the elements are kind of small. Um, but like the HVAC controls, uh, when you go to adjust them, they'll come up larger on the screen. You can do what you need to do, but you have to stare at it to figure out what it is you want when you're when you're new to the car. I think as an owner, this probably goes away a little bit, but you still got to look at it to figure out what, what you're trying to ask it to do. And if you look too long, it times out and it shrinks back down. Oh. It's like, no, leave the controls where I want That's them. That's brutal. This, <laughs> this is why none of that stuff should ever be in a touchscreen interface. It needs to be physical controls yeah. that don't move. They're always in the same place. You can do it by feel without looking at them. Look, there's nothing wrong with I would agree knots. with you there. You know, like I, I get it. You And you want to leave it in auto. Fine. Like yes. that's the answer is leave it in auto. But that's not all of us want that. <laughs> and, well, you should. Well, just like I, I get it. Pepperoni pizza. <laughs> I, I love a good pepperoni pizza. Um, but you, you have to, as, as a designer of machines that people are going to use too, like you've got to create more than one way to skin a cat because hey 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 none of that that's where uh <laughs> that's where you have to study and it's like some people are going to do it exactly the way you want to do it and that's great but other people are going to they're going to break your stuff and you have to account for them breaking your stuff and make it so that your stuff doesn't break um and and the input mode doesn't become really frustrating so i thought that there was some annoyances you know the, another thing like there was no real place to stick my phone um except for a little cubby up in front of the shifter, which is also where the um, the port for USB and for CarPlay is. And that's actually awkward to plug the cable in. Like I had to finagle my wrist around to get in there. It's, you can't yeah, that's not okay. Um, and I was like, did is they actually- a USB port in the center console? Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, I don't know. Under the, maybe under the armrest. Under, is, yeah. But, um, you know, the charging port is right, right there. 
Well, because, you know, there still is that conversation of that you should be putting your phone away, you know, and that's that's why why I ask, you know, a lot of times you'll find a USB port up in the front, like what you just described, Dan, and then additional ports in in the center console bin under the armrest. So you plug in there, put your phone in there, and then you don't touch it again while you're driving. That may be that may be easier, um, but then you forget the phone, you know, like, again, accounting for people and us weirdos. so like that's not a bad thing to I'll I'll look for that. Um but uh, it's still it's difficult to plug stuff into that one that's up in front of the shifter. Like you just you can't actually reach the port under the the way they've designed the opening. It's Right. It's so like very awkward to get around. Yeah, and that that's, that, was, yeah. that was surprising, you know. I think that it's it's definitely overall it's a great car. Um if you want a legacy or I mean uh, an Outback, you know what you're going to get. You know, it's matured steadily with each generation. It hasn't lost the Subaru character, which I think is that's a pretty neat trick because it's gotten a lot more refined every time they've redone it. Um, is that is this also sold designed and sold in Japan? Because I'm wondering if it's easier on the what the right hand drive. I don't know. to reach those controls because um, I run into this with other cars. It seems like they're pretty like where these are they're not tilted one way or another they're just yeah straight, I mean, look, so. i'm looking at a photo of it right, right now. but i just it's, wonder it's if if you are like with your you know if you're sitting on the right if you're on the driver's seat on the right side is it easier yeah, to slot yeah in as opposed to sitting on the left side mm-hmm. and then you're reaching you know kind of reaching around the center console yeah, or reaching maybe, around the shift the gear selector and such. for the way uh left hand I'll, I'll sit in the passenger seat it, fiddle with yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't look like it would be yeah. from looking at this because it's, you know, everything's all pretty much lined up along the center line of the car. Uh-huh. And it doesn't look like it would make any difference really which direction you were coming at it. Yeah, but, but, you know, I'll, I'll play with it because, you know, just the way your your wrists work and stuff, it's, it's that's interesting. I'll, I'll fiddle with that. We'll, yeah, we'll I'd be, I'd be cu- <laughs> if you still have the car, I think that'd be curious to see yeah. if it does make any difference. It's just a... You know, like an idea of to try that because I run into that. I remember sitting in a Lexus one time, and the footwell came out. I was in I was in the driver's seat, and the footwell came out and hit me. I remember talking about on the show on this. I it hit me in the knee, and I was like, "What is going on with this?" And it's because they didn't change it for the right and left hand side. Huh. And so it's it's you're fine as a passenger with that there, but once you become the driver, it causes problems. And so that's what made me think of it, like. Is it is it a is it an ergonomics thing? But yeah, yeah, I agree, Sam. Looking at the pictures, it doesn't seem like it would be, but it's you know it's a nice looking interior. It they is. did a nice job, I they think, did with a materials. Job, and I remember having a little bit different experience. I quite enjoyed driving it. At the same time, I hadn't spent a lot of time in a Subaru, and so you know we and we did off roading. We you know we took yeah. it on some some nice trails and stuff, and it was really really good for that so i always give a car that's that is good on the on off road i always give it a little bit more leeway on road if it can you know if it's well behaved on road as well because but you're you're always it sounds like there's just some compromises that are are going on i'd love to have one here at home at some point to really just drive it on the highway Uh, or you know on paved roads and see how it is and i it it's not it's not bad i think what i wanted was it to be a little bit more plush on the road mm-hmm. um, or just a little bit more, more disciplined um, with that, the way it sort of holds the center lane on the highway, you know? Right. Yeah. Some of that's personal preference. I think if you are looking for a vehicle like this, 
there's not a whole lot of choice, especially now that Buick's leaving the market. Um, there's the, the Volkswagen is a little smaller. Uh, you mean that like semi wagon yeah. crossover kind of feel? And then yeah. you, you've got, you know, more expensive choices. So this is in a really sweet spot. This is under $40,000. Uh, it's really well equipped. It's very nicely outfitted. It's comfortable. It looks good. It's really functional. Um, it has all the safety tech, you know, the, the eyesight stuff. And that actually works right. pretty well. The adaptive cruise works well. The lane centering actually works. It's got all wheel drive. Decently. Yeah. Um, you know, with the new engine, it has pleasing power. It's actually quick. Uh, and it doesn't use as much gas as the old, um, the, the 3.6R used to be the way to get a powerful Outback. And that one sounded awesome because it was a flat <laughs> six, sounded like a Porsche, uh, but it swilled fuel. Uh, this one is going to give you better fuel economy, especially with the CVT. So it's a really solid update. I think the, the, the controls and stuff that bugs us may not bug other folks quite as much. Although, you know, given the wide demographic of, of people that, that buy these, some people are going to get it and really immediately take to it. Other people like my parents who are in their seventies and my mom drives a Forester. Uh, I think some of that stuff, and she told me, she's like, ah, it does all kinds of stuff. I don't know how to do. <laughs> I was like, that's kind of good that's and bad. Cute. Like it's good <laughs> that it defaults to being on, but it's bad that like, you're not going to know what it's doing when it does what it does, you know? Like, well, and keep in mind too, that Onyx edition, you mentioned the water repellent upholstery. Yeah. And so that Onyx is a kind of a special for a special specific audience. It's the dog I should car. Say. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, you know, as opposed to like the limited or that touring, yeah. um, the limited XT, the top of the line, you know, so um, the touring XT rather is the top of the line. But, you know, that Onyx edition does have some some specifically designed features, uh, particularly that water repellent upholstery. Yeah, it may actually even have a, a different suspension tune on it that is a little different than the limited or the touring. So, uh I, yeah, it's got the dual function X mode, the yes. hill, hill descent control. Yep. Yeah, uh, but yeah, so that, I mean, it's a cool, as you said, like it's a cool looking vehicle. It's, you know, but it is designed. I mean, maybe that suspension is a little bit looser for off road. Yeah. That, and that, that could be, it felt great when I had it on gravel roads. I wanted to go fast and rally drive well and again that's what you're going to compromise a little bit on right yeah like when you have that feeling you know of being able that confidence of being able to go fast on a gravel road that same confidence may not translate quite as easily yeah to pavement so all right um the other stuff i was starting i had for the storm my mobile office was a uh 20 uh 2020 um ram 1500 laramie night edition this was a sixty-eight thousand dollar (laughs) 1500 which is absurdly expensive. And it, I don't think it even had that many options. I think it had, had a couple of expensive option packages. One of them was, I think, 3000 The other was like $4,000. Um, but it, it was, it, I'm looking at the sticker. I'm like, it's, it doesn't seem like it's that much of a stretch to get from 46 which is the base price of, of this model, uh, to 68 which is where it wound up. It's like, that's so much money for a 1500 <laughs> It an, I mean, it's a nice truck. It's the the Laramie, so it's you know nicely appointed inside. It was very comfortable to leave it idling in the driveway um, while I tethered and um, charged up stuff. I had like I had my video editing stuff. In yeah, there. how long did you guys lose power for? We lost power for about a day, twenty four hours. Okay, um, so just long enough to ruin a bunch of stuff in the fridge. 
Nice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, my whole fridge went. Yeah. I, I went and borrowed a generator. It was, it was a truck was handy to, to pick up a generator from my brother-in-law. And, and uh, you know, we get this, it's a big one. It's 8,500 watts. And we put it down, plug, start it up, plug stuff in the house. And then three hours later, zip, all the power comes back. So, oh, of course. <laughs> but that's okay. Um, so, you know, the this had the eTorque V8, which is, is good. It feels a little bit more punchy than you'd expect because the um, the Hemi is a little bit, uh, it has a lot to deal with with the, the Ram 1500. This is, a, this is a heavy truck, and and that is what sort of dings it in um, payload. Uh, it, it trailering is fine, but the Ram you have to sort of carefully look at in 1500s. Like, what can I actually put in this, and also put people in and, and stuff because it it's its payload number is really a function of which engine, which drive system, and which cab you've got. So it's a really nice luxury car. I don't think it's you know as much a pickup as it is a, just a classical full frame luxury car. This is your Imperial. <laughs> with a really big trunk. Yeah. With an enormous trunk. Um, you know, and I didn't, I actually didn't like the, uh, the tonneau cover that it has as a three piece tonneau that folds up, but it folds up weird. It's kind of cumbersome. Um, that's an accessory. So just watch out for that. Uh, I liked all the features, you know, I had power um, running boards and it had the, 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 tailgate. I don't know what the Ram tailgate is. Split off the top tailgate. Of yeah, but it had the split tailgate. It opens like a door, uh, you know, a pair mm-hmm. of doors or down. And it's very clever and it looks like a, a durable solution that, you know, isn't isn't quite as fiddly as uh, the, the GMC multi-pro tailgate that's like a Swiss Army knife. <laughs> um, so, you know, the, the Ram is, is easy to love. It's very comfortable. It rides and, and handles like, uh, you know, it weighs a gazillion pounds because it does. Um it's it's geared well though you know the powertrain is really good i think this engine transmission combo is as as worthy of praise as any of the gm small block stuff uh, it's just just a really good powertrain um and the, the e-torque i think helps fill in the gaps uh so it, it's a nice truck but it's also like if you're buying a sixty-eight thousand dollar pickup you need to address your priorities um the 1500 is not where you should be <laughs> If you need a work truck, you should be buying a heavy duty truck, which is also going to be nice for seventy thousand dollars. So, <laughs> uh, that's that's sort of my my quick take on that. And then the Ionic PHEV, um, I I quite I quite liked that, but I think that that is a dead man walking. Um, just that car segment. They need to take that tech and put it in regular cars and crossovers. Um, you know, like which even- which is you know to their credit is what they're doing. You yeah, know, you've got the. Uh, the Sonata hybrid, the um, Elantra hybrid. Um, there's a Sonata plug-in hybrid, I think, coming back again. You know, same basic thing, but, you know, with a two-liter engine instead of the 1.6. Um, we'll probably see that that plug-in uh, in the, the next generation Tucson. Uh, so they're they're putting it into a bunch of stuff. But yeah. they're also expanding the Ionic brand name. Right. Right. Right, when that's well, good. Because we talked I, about I, I last think, time. Uh, did we talk about yeah, that last week? You guys did talk about it, yeah. Okay, I couldn't remember. Um, I the, thought we talked about it last week. The, the door is definitely closing for this sort of dedicated hybrid model. You know, the Toyota's not selling as many Priuses as it used to, and, and I think this Ionic is the same same thing. Um, it, it does it does exactly what it says it's going to do. So it's it's a very good hybrid. It actually felt pretty sporty to drive in a surprising uh, way. You know, there's just genuine steering feel and the. The um, low rolling resistance tires are just the right amount of greasy, so you can you can actually slide it around a little bit, <laughs> which I thought was surprising and amusing. Um, 
and it's you know this I had to limit it, so it's it's nicely appointed, and and uh, I didn't find that actually the, the um, touch sensitive switches as objectionable here. Um, the Hyundai infotainment is and secondary controls are, are better done. So I think I'm getting that vehicle in a couple of weeks. Actually, I hope it's not the one that I drove. I mean, you know, let me. You can I'll, I'll put look your and own see. Scars on it. I actually didn't do anything to to, to damage it. Just, you know. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'll look and see which, I don't know if she's giving me the trim level that I'm getting. Yeah. It's a, it's a nice car. I'll be interested to see what you, you have to say about it. Uh, it's, um, it's a little loud on the highway, but you know, that's, that's, I think just the function of, of hybrids. They're all kind of like that. Oh, you know what? I'm not actually getting it until October. That's not the the Hyundai Ionic electric limited. Okay. Okay, So that's the battery, that's the battery electric version. So no engine at all in that one. Yeah. Just Okay. Yeah, that's the one I'm getting. I'll keep you posted. <laughs> All right. So why don't we go back to uh, Ram for a minute? Uh, they, <laughs> they made a little bit of an announcement yesterday. Uh, <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Uh, there's a new there's a new Ram 1500 variant uh, coming this fall uh, called the TRX, which uh, we actually you know first heard about. They did a, a concept version back in 2016 that they took to the Texas state fair. Um, and during their, during FCA's capital markets day in 2018, um, when they were doing their, their latest five-year plan, they said that they're going to build a production version of the TRX and now it's finally here and they put a Hellcat in it. And <laughs> as you do. <laughs> as, uh, well, if you're FCA, that is what you do. Well, I mean, you know, it's okay. So Hellcat everything. This this annoyed a lot of people who felt the need to comment like, A, they're they're trashing the environment. And I, I understand that it's not a uh, not a fuel efficient vehicle. I, I you know, there, that is a that is a definite concern. But also FCA needs to make revenue. <laughs> yep. So that's another concern. And uh, people have shown that they'll they'll buy very expensive pickups. And so, yes, it's half pointless, um, but also people will buy it and they don't have anything else. They don't have car platforms. They're trying to finish up their deal with PSA that's going to open up a lot of stuff. So it doesn't make any sense for them to not do what they're doing. Like their only option really is just Hellcat everything. <laughs> Look, there's 400 other different types of cars to buy. Buy something else if you don't like it. Nobody's forcing anybody to buy this vehicle. So I get it. I understand the concerns, but it's just great fun. I mean, it's, you know, they can probably will be a blast, you know, to run this thing across the desert, (laughs) Um, you know, 700 horsepower. You know, I mean, I've, I've driven, I've driven the rebel, you know, which is really good. I like the rebel. Yeah. It's, that's a good Uh, truck. You know, and, you know, that's, you know, just with a, even with a V6, you know, it's really good, but they, you know, this thing, you know, with a 702 horsepower supercharged V8, you know, is going to outdo everything that's out there right now. What's going to be interesting, you know, is it's funny, you know, TRX, you know, they, they call this thing the apex predator of, of full-size off-road Jeez. trucks, you know, like the, like the Tyrannosaurus Rex was, 
That's, you know, hence so, the name. I, but I actually wonder, <laughs> okay, like, the, was the Tyrannosaurus Rex actually an apex predator, or do we just think it was? Well, everybody <laughs> perceives it as the apex predator. Who the, the hell is Based on what I saw on social media. They, they've done the same kind of thing, though. Like, they've, it's, the, the T-Rex had a huge head and tiny little chicken arms, and, like, it, it was all imbalanced. That's exactly what yeah. you have here, a huge engine. To their credit, you know, they, they have, I think they have actually balanced it out with the, with the chassis as well. I mean, they've, they've, they've made a, you know, basically completely revamped the chassis, you know, this thing's eight inches wider than a standard 1500. Uh, you know, so, you know, it's got a lot more um, wheel mode, you know, wheel travel capability. Uh, you know, it's, it's really set up for high speed off-road driving or low speed off-road driving for that matter. Uh, you know, and, and FCA knows how to do off-road stuff, you know, as they've shown with Jeep and, and even with the Ram Rebel and the Power Wagon. Uh, but, you know, the thing is, you know, the, 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 the original T-Rex, you know, eventually turned into crude oil. You know, this thing, you know, this, this really seems like the end of an era. You know, th- this is probably, you know, this and the, the next generation Raptor will probably be the last of this type of truck that we see with a big, powerful internal combustion engine. Yeah. And uh, rumor has it that the new Raptor is going to go back to a V8 instead of the the EcoBoost V6. But, you know, we also have coming, you know, a year from now, the GMC Hummer EV Rivian at some point, you know, the Cybertruck, um, you know, Ford's got an electric F-150 coming. And, you know, I mean, these are, you know, especially the Hummer, you know, and, and the Cybertruck are going to be, you know, really powerful, you know, electric pickups. And that, that Hummer is going to be very off-road capable too. So, you know, you're, you're going to, this is like the, the last of a generation, you know, before you start to get into these electric variants of these things. I, I think too, the electric stuff is going to, because of just the, the weight and the packaging, that's going to change the, the way those trucks actually go across the terrain. You're going to be able to take the electric trucks and they like, they'll fly really stably. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, they're, they're heavy, but once you get them airborne, like they're, <laughs> they're going to be stable. And you're going to have momentum on your side. Yeah. Um, so that's going to make a, that's going to be a different kind of truck. So I'll be interested to see what that is. Um, I do think you're right. It's, it, it, this probably is sort of the last gasp of this stuff. These are, these are your Superbirds and your, your Daytonas. Uh, that's, that's what these are now. So get them. And it's interesting too, like you said that the original T-Rex turned into crude oil. Um, this T-Rex <laughs> is, is, uh, brings it all full circle because it's going to consume all that crude oil. Yep, and then go extinct. <laughs> yeah, ah, <laughs> uh, metaphor. We love yeah. you. <laughs> um, I so I understand the the criticism of it, but I think that it's a really uh, well thought out package. I think it it complements the Raptor in the marketplace, um, and it, it does stuff that the Raptor doesn't as well. Like it, it has carved out its niche, and and there's there's room for these things. So um, let's see how long it lasts. It's It'll be a fair. Yeah, they'll probably build these for a couple of years, you know, and then, you know, wind it down, um, you know, or as long as, as long as people are willing to buy them, you know, yeah. really, as, as long as there's a, as long as there's enough customers for it, they'll keep building them. They're just, if I lived any, anywhere that this would be appropriate as in like out with access to deserts and off roads and stuff like that, I think this thing would be an absolute riot. I oh, love yeah. it. <laughs> I uh, I think you should definitely get one of these in in Greenwich and just you know what go up yeah. along the um, 
go into the back country yeah, and we'll show them how the it's done. Lines, right? You're not actually supposed to be there, but see if you can get to Canada along the, uh, the high tension waters. Take, draw a straight line from your house to Canada and see if you can get there with this thing. And do it while you're towing your own house. like just Of course, <laughs> my, my, my tiny house. Yeah, I'm going to tow, tow my house to Quebec. Yeah. It's awesome. Uh, I, good, good for them for like uh, keeping keeping things rolling. Um, it is a business after all, and so we don't always um, we don't always agree with every choice that those companies make. But uh, they need to stay around so they can make the things that we want them to make. I'm really interested in the small cars. The sales of the Ram TRX uh, will fund. Yeah, well, and they're they're also you know doing a lot of um, electrification, um, not so you know not so much right now until after they <clears throat> finish the PSA merger on full battery electric stuff. But they're doing a lot of plug-in hybrids, uh, starting with the Wrangler this fall. And they, uh, Jeep recently re- released a, a teaser video of the the Wrangler plug-in, uh, the 4XE as they call it, you know where you know you just see this this wrangler kind of silently going through you know down this trail and along a river and you know past the animals so you know they're not completely ignoring uh that marketplace yeah they're they're working on it they need to get some working capital going and um yeah you know, i so the the business side of that is just really i think holding stuff up for both um i don't want to say fca anymore but but getting the stellantis merger uh, complete will allow Bless all the you. brands to do what they're doing. Oh, that's all right. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but tell you, you're talking. Oh, go ahead. No, I just, after you said Stellantis, I said, bless you. Oh, yes. A little joke. <laughs> <laughs> Still hate the name. Uh, but talking about the Wrangler is a good, good place for us to pivot to the, the Bronco and some first impressions of that one. Uh, because they are direct competitors in the marketplace. And that was actually, we were following a Wrangler Unlimited last night in in the car, and uh, I was telling my wife, I was like, yeah, I really want to try the Bronco. Like, I, I think that's going to be a, a really cool vehicle and different enough on its own. But you you guys have have seen more of it than I have, so does that hold up? What did you think, Rebecca? You saw it yesterday in New York. I did see it for the first time yesterday, and in its, in its natural habitat. And it, well, of course, right outside of Wall Street, exactly where it's supposed to be. <laughs> Did you crush some bankers? Please I, crush some bankers. Never mind. I really liked it a lot. I think that they did some really thoughtful design elements to it. I, you know, as I've said before, it it looks like it's supposed to look. I I think they did you know really thoughtful things. I love the on top of the dash. There's the gear. Uh, this gear rack where you can plug in things like your GoPro cameras and stuff. And, and it's really, you know, that's, that is uh, one of those like celebrations of how this vehicle is going to be used. I liked the fact that it had auxiliary buttons already pre pre wired and connected to the fuse where you can add on lights on the top and, you know, different, uh, different accessories. Like it, it, it works directly with how people are going to use this product and they recognize that they embrace it and they, they celebrated it. And I think those kinds of elements are really, really cool. It was, um, it was easy to get in and out of the, the four door was a little bit easier because it had the running boards. The two door sits high, you know, it had 32 inch tires on it. Um, but once inside, I think they did a good job of refining the interior. You know, I think Ford, 
overall Ford tends to do some pretty nice interiors. And this one had some elements to it that I, I really enjoyed. I mean, it was one of those, like, I'm always kind of looking to see, okay, did you think of this? And did you think of that? And pretty much everything that I wanted it to have, it has in it. I, you know, they had this, this weight bearing pullout table in the back that then you can use to climb on it to the top to adjust things on the roof, which was really, really clever. I, that, that was probably the only wrinkle was that they, I would have loved to have had a footwell in built into the corner to be able to get onto that table a little bit more gracefully to then adjust the, the roof rack things. But just the fact that they thought of making that table a weight bearing option was was again just how they they clearly listened to research read research and appreciated it and i think it is going to give jeep a run for its money it's going to give people an alternative that they haven't really had before yeah and, you know as of last week they had over 165,000 uh, pre-orders for the bronco two-door and four-door uh, they haven't said how many orders they've gotten for the uh the Bronco Sport yet, but you know, I mean, there's, there's clearly a lot of interest in this vehicle, and, and we did publish uh, a special episode last week um, where I talked to uh, Rob Gillardi, who was the um, chief interior designer for the the Bronco two door, four door, and Scott Anderson, uh, who's the uh, interior design lead for the, uh, the Bronco Sport, you know, about some of those design design decisions they made. Did you um, see the Bronco Sport yet? Oh yeah, I wrote they, it. they didn't have one there either. Yeah, they 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 had. Uh, I suspect that the reason they didn't bring one um, to New York on Monday is because they, you know, they were really emphasizing, you know, these the two, you know, they had the F one fifty and the Broncos there, right? You know, yeah, and the press release was really talking about, you know, how Ford makes more vehicles in the U S. than anybody else, you know, really focusing on that that whole made in America thing, and the Bronco Sports actually going to be made in Mexico. Yep. So, We'll just, womp, womp, womp. But um, yeah, no, they, the event I went to last week, um, they, they did have the Bronco Sport in addition to the two-door and four-door. And we actually got to go for rides in both the Bronco Sport and the, the Bronco two-door. Okay, cool. Uh, at, uh, at this new ORV park that is opening up here about an hour north of Detroit. Um, and, you know, both, you know, are really impressive vehicles. You know, the, the Bronco Sport, you know, is very much a competitor for the Jeep Compass Trailhawk. Right. And we should remind listeners that it's a car base. That's one yeah, of the main, that's, yeah, it's, that's ba it's the, based, it's based on the same. It's a very different vehicle actually. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, they, they took, they took the escape this time is it when they redesigned the escape and they split it, they made the escape more car like <clears throat> because they were also creating the separate vehicle, this rugged off-road vehicle that, you know, where Jeep has, you know, the, the range of compasses and the same goes for their other, crossovers that, you know, are, you know, within the same vehicle, you know, are more car-like and you know, true off-road capability. The Bronco Sport is the off-road rugged version of that. Um, and it's got a lot of neat things like that taller roof in the back, that stepped roof. So it, <clears throat> you can get um, a rack that goes inside and put your mountain bikes inside the vehicle, you know, so they're not outside exposed, likely to get stolen. Um, That's great. But my one complaint about that is it it uh, consumes the the rear seat. Yeah, it too. leaves leaves you with only two seats. Yeah, so, so that's that's great for that young active couple bikes, who can so. afford the car. Yeah, <laughs> it goes um, away when there's kids. 
One thing I'll be curious about, you know, the roll bar in the Wrangler is over, is in between the passenger, it's in between the front seats and the back seats Mm -hmm. and the roll bars in the middle there. The roll bar on this is behind the, on the four, on the four door, I believe it's behind the the second seats. row. Yeah. And I asked about crash test worthiness and they haven't gone through that yet. So I'll be curious to see like rollover and how that. I, ex- I expect it'll be, you know, comparable to, to what I, you- I would, I would think so, but I, I, I it was, it was a, a notable change engineering change that they've done. And I hadn't seen a car with that. I was trying to remember them like vehicles, like the Evoke doesn't even have a roll bar. Yeah. Um, this one, you know, I mean, you've got, you've got a full roll bar system in here that goes, you know, across and down the A pillars. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I don't expect that to be an issue. Um, you know, was, yeah, I would think that they would have yeah. done the, they did the simulation testing yeah. on it, Yeah, uh, but it, it is a notable design difference. The, um, the, the Bronco two door that I got to ride in uh, was actually uh, it had the four cylinder engine and the seven speed manual transmission. So we were, we didn't get to drive. We were riding along with Ford engineers doing the, doing the driving and the, um, the two door, uh, that seven speed is actually really a, a six speed plus a crawler gear. So, uh, when you, um, when you put it in that, that low, cr- that crawler gear and put, put it in four wheel drive low, that's where you get that 95 to one crawl ratio. And, you know, we were going through the course just in, uh, in four high. We didn't, he, uh, he didn't even put it in four low and it had no problem at all going through all this stuff, you know, uh, you know, through all the, the different kind of terrain that they had in there. You know, it was, I think, you know, it wasn't perhaps quite as challenging as some of the terrain on the, uh, the, the Chrysler Proving Grounds off-road course. Um, uh, but we you know, gone I, through. I, yeah, I, I think that, you know, it will probably do just fine. You know, I mean, they've been, they've been posting a bunch of videos and photos the last couple of weeks of this thing running Rubicon, you know, along with some Wranglers. Uh, so I have, I have no doubt this thing's going to do, do great, you know, to the, what you're talking about with the design touches, you know, some of the neat things they did that, that Rob talked about was, you know, at the ends of the dashboard are cut away, you know, they're angled away. And then you've got those grab handles that are on there, which are, by the way, are removable, uh, as is the grab handle that's on the center console. So you can uh, you can reposition them. Uh, but when you look through the the grab handle, if you have the doors off, you you can actually see right through there. And you know they've cut away the dash to to the, at the end to really maximize that visibility, so you can see all around you. And they've also got uh, when you're you know running at low you know below 20 miles an hour you can have the surround view cameras on all the time. So they, they did that. They had the surround view cameras on so you can see what's right in front of you. And that's so critical when you're off road. Oh yeah. So you, you yeah. Know, when you're, you know, when you're coming up over the crest of a hill or, you know, going over a boulder uh, you want to be able to see where everything is around you. Um, you know, because when you're, you know, you're coming up a steep hill and then going over the top, you know, you can't see what's <laughs> on the other side. Having that camera there on, allows you to see what's there, uh, which is really, really important. So it's, you know, I think, I think the, the Bronco is going to do fine, you know, and that the four cylinder, you know, I think it's going to be about 275 horsepower in the Bronco. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's got plenty of power and, and torque. 
Uh, and the, the ones we rode in had the 32 inch wheels on them. Um, mm -hmm. they'll also, there's also an option for 35s. Um, <laughs> and also, you know, in the, the one I was in, you know, it had the drain plug in the floor so you can get yes. the rubberized floor with a drain plug that you can take out so you can hose down. Is, the is that standard? Is it? No, it's optional. Oh, okay. Cause, cause the, the, both of the vehicles they had, had them and then yeah. it, it's, yeah, I love that. Um, it's standard on some trim levels, optional on okay. others. Um, okay. so, uh, you know, there's just a lot of really, really cool things they did with it. And, you know, the, the doors on the four door, um, you know, because they made them frameless, uh, so that you can stash them in the back. And, you know, when they decided to make that change so you could stash the doors in the back, they actually had to do a lot of re-engineering, you know, uh, to, to make, you know, so you could slide them into the slots in the, in the back of the, uh, the back of the uh, cargo area. Uh, well, and then they also have those cool, like tubular doors as yeah, well those, that they had, which those were great. Available as, a, as a factory accessory. Yeah, um, those were neat looking. There's, there's going to be a lot of accessories. I mean, one of the things that you know that, that works out great for FCA with the, with the Wrangler is there's this huge range of accessories you can buy, both you know through Mopar as well as through third parties, and you know there's there's a lot of profit margin on those yeah, it's accessories. Like a, it's like a Barbie doll for grown men. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> or GI Joe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we're gender neutral there. Um, one of the, they're absolutely killing it on the marketing part of it too. I mean, I think that they're really doing an amazing job keeping momentum up on these things. You know, it doesn't come out until the next spring. I think it is like a mm -hmm. year. Is it a year from now? Almost? Uh, less than a year, about nine months uh, from now. Early 2021 production. Yeah. So, but, you know, they're really doing a great job with this buzz because there's a ton of buzz and there's a lot of people really interested in it. One of the things too, to that point on um, the guy that showed me ar around Esteban, he said that uh, the, the knobs and the, and the bolts that you as a consumer can adjust and take off and such, they have, they're all marked with Bronco yeah. so that you know whether you can make adjustments to that particular uh, bolt as you come across it in the vehicle, which again, I thought was really just a really uh, thoughtful touch. Mm -hmm. It's cool. They've done, they've done a fantastic job. It's really, I can't wait for it to come out and I can't, I can't wait to drive it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, they, they really learned, I think, from the Raptor, a lot of lessons about how to do a vehicle like this, a special vehicle with an off-road focus. And they clearly studied real hard about the, the Wrangler as well. So, Well, I mean, they've got, you know, they take advantage of, you know, 60, 70 years of Wrangler sales and yeah. sales and use, you know. It's good. But no, they did. It'll be interesting to see how people, if there's an authenticity, you know, because Jeep has sort of has obviously been in this landscape for years and decades now uh, all the way through. And so it'll be interesting to see how the consumer, you know, how many people uh, convert and, and trade over and go over to, from a Jeep to a Bronco. Yeah. I think there's going to be that crossover audience. And it's also just going to be people who, who buy the Bronco who wouldn't consider the Jeep. Um, and so they, they've, found a little niche for themselves yeah uh, so good good for them it's exciting it's exciting times too completely fun we talked about the, the ram <laughs> and, trx and there, and, yeah there will be an electrified version of this you know at some point you know either hybrid or plug-in hybrid um you know that that's going to be arriving sometime in the next couple of years yeah so uh, get ready <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, hopefully we're all still employed by that time. We can, we can afford it. Um, all right. Well, so you know what? Uh, we talked about the Ionic last time. I'm pretty sure. If we didn't, we'll talk about it next time. Okay. Because <laughs> we, ha- we have some questions to get to. And it's yeah, like- so let's start with the most important one. Yes, I was going to say. Uh, from from Groovetini. Um, in light of the looming pepperoni shortage, <laughs> what are your thoughts on pizza toppings? Is pineapple acceptable? Why or why not? Please feel free to personally attack each other's character over this. <laughs> and I suspect that I will be doing exactly that uh, momentarily, well, Rebecca. So, well, no, no, no. Hang on. Do we need to okay. – d- d- there's a little bit of backstory here. So yes, we need to fill in the backstory here. Yesterday, um, <laughs> Rebecca tweeted about the pepperoni shortage. And I purposely trolled her by saying <laughs> – as long as ham and pineapple um, hold out, uh, which she replied, those should never be allowed on pizza. And apparently there's still like a pizza Twitter thread going on that's like with car Twitter. So I don't know if it's really related or separate or well, whatever. And we, somebody we some somebody took this way too seriously and talked about freedom of choice and all this BS. And it's like, just giving each dial other back and step away for a minute. This is a pizza <laughs> discussion. I was really pissed off by that, I have really? to say. <laughs> I think it, no, it, it is, was just, it's like, come on. Not everything is that serious. We were just exactly. giving each other some grief. Like, eat what you want to eat. But like, yeah, I, I, and that's sort of the point I got to. I was like, look, to each their own. I just, you know, I don't like mushrooms. I'll, I will eat the hell out of a pineapple and ham pizza. But I get that some people find that disgusting. And, well, and, and, and the fact of the matter is, I actually do love ham on pizza. It just has to be called bacon. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a different part of the pig. Well, there, not- there's a distinction between ham and bacon. There are two, there are two different parts of the pig. You can yes. mix them. You can so mix I'm them. not averse <laughs> to pig on pizza. Right. It just has to be called bacon. Yeah. Well, and I offended somebody in Canada, too, by saying, like, well, yes. Hawaiian pizza is a Canadian invention. He's like, what are you talking about, Canadian pizza? I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> This really took on a life yeah. of its own. <laughs> like I just pizza. was upset about the pepperoni shortage. Yeah, which is which is part, but, but so you know to to answer the to answer right. Bruce's question. Let's say, like let's answer his question. Absolutely, absolutely, pineapple is acceptable. Anything you want to put on a pizza, if it if it suits your taste, go for it. You you know, you know that's you, the beauty of pizza. You can. That's it's the TRX of pizza. <laughs> You've got so except it won't be extinct. You, <laughs> you've not. got a you've got a very expansive big tent take on pizza, but there is like the actual like pizza institute in Naples. I think it's Naples um, that like they're very serious about it, and like the margarita pizza is a particular. thing. It was named after the princess, I think. And like, well, and that's okay. They like, they are allowed to be serious about pizza. Yeah. I, look, I, the Pizza Institute in Naples is allowed to be serious about pizza, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like. Some some places will do the the Hawaiian pizza better than others too. Like you got to. I've had some bad ones. <laughs> I have two. All of them. Yeah. Kidding. No, sorry. <laughs> um, you know, if you do it in like the oven, like you get a little char on the pineapple, you get that Maillard reaction going, and the sugar it, it just caramelizes, yeah. right? Yeah. You have to oh, caramelize yeah. it. That's actually Absolutely. pretty good. You know, <laughs> like yeah. It's still not my, it's, it's not my jam. I respect people. My, my, my own brother-in-law, the one that I picked up from JFK an hour ago on our conversation, he absolutely loves pineapple and ham. I get it. He also doesn't have a single drop of Italian blood in him. Unlike me. Well, that's why. He's fully half Italian. Right. That's why. (laughs) That's not pizza, buddy. Like, fine, whatever. Have your bread with vegetables, but that's not. (laughs) 
not pizza. Okay, so yes. And and next week, we'll get into the whole discussion of Chicago style versus New York style. Oh, I don't think there is a discussion there. Mm. All right. Well, and there's like Detroit style pizza, which is a thing I didn't know about either. And then there's the Greek style in Uh, Boston that I became acquainted with, unfortunately, through college. Unfortunately. That was sub-op as well. It turns out, actually, that um, Greek families own a lot of the pizza restaurants around, at least around here in New England. I don't know if it's- They should stick to Nick's Roast Beef in Beverly, Massachusetts. That's my go-to Greek restaurant. And Ann Arbor is a Greek family that owns Cottage Inn Pizza. Yeah. All right. Next up, from from Robert Grace. Uh, Loves the show, listens every week. Thanks for doing it. Thank Um, you. Now we've offended uh, his pieces. This is is more of a comment um, than- uh, a question, I think. Um, the uh, I think the day has passed, long past, that it's okay for professional car reviewers not to have level two chargers at their home or office. The idea that EVs are less convenient than internal combustion is really wrong, but you can't know that unless you have easy access to a $500 level two charger. Um, so who would like to comment or respond to that? I understand that. I, I agree. I, I fully agree with Robert. And if uh, somebody wants to install a level two charger in my home, I would be happy to accept that. <laughs> well, no, but see, I think that's uh, almost like the sort of like those are the tools that you use to do the job. So that's like the carpenter and his. Yeah, no, I, so. I agree. I mean, I would love to have a level two charger and it's something that I have explored. So it's 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 all, it's it is. It is something that is on the list of things to do. I, the less convenient versus more convenient. It's not to say that they are, it's not to say that EVs are not less convenient. My statement on that is that we have not done a good job as an industry of describing how and why. And also you're assuming, I think that for multifamily house people, that is a whole different argument. And, and, and many people have agreed that academics in particular have agreed that we haven't solved that challenge yet. I, I do think that we should look at, at working with municipalities, working with builders, working with people to install, have a level two charger uh, as part of a new build, uh, you know, as, as I mentioned, I don't have a generator here at home, so I didn't have power. And were I to build a house today, I would certainly pre-wire for both a generator and a level two charger. I think that's a really, really good thing. But, you know, I guess I don't see going to the gas station for five minutes as a huge inconvenience. And, the idea that an EV is somehow more convenient, I don't, I haven't quite accepted well, that yet. It, but it, I guess it can be if you're only always charging at home and you don't ever consume all the range. And so I, I suppose that there is that argument like, yeah, I, I haven't, I have an electric car. I haven't gone to a gas station in months or years or whatever. I can see that. Um, I can see that too. Yeah. 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 No, that's perfectly legitimate. Right. When, when I, I will tell you though, that when I have had an EV, a full EV, even, you know, so let's pretend like I do have a level two charger in my garage. It's still a matter of taking that out in the middle of a snowstorm or a huge rainstorm and having to plug it in. That is not as convenient as driving to a gas station underneath a covered parking area and being able to get gas at a little bit more of my convenience, frankly, yeah. uh, you know, when I need to get it as opposed to needing to charge every single night. 
you know, and again, we're talking about different ranges and, and things like that. But so I guess, you know, I've been in that, I've been in that, in that uh, situation where I, I didn't have a choice. I had to charge and it was absolutely torrential rain out and it was a mess and it was not a nice experience having to do that. Yeah. I think the, you know, the real answer here is that, you know, there is no silver bullet, you know, for, for many customers, uh, you know, an EV is far more convenient. You know, if you live in a single family home, you know, and you're parking the, the car in a garage right. uh, and you've got a level two charger, you get out, plug it in, go in the house, you're done. Get Absolutely. Out in, the in the morning, you unplug it, you drive. Do, you know, totally do respect that. And, but there are, you know, as you said, a lot of people that um, if, even if they live in a single family home, if they live in a city, they may have to rely on street parking where, you know, it's not. It's not convenient, um, or you live in a multi-unit home, uh, and for those people, that's why you know we're seeing things like what we talked about recently with GM and EVGO, trying to um, you know make charging more convenient by putting DC fast chargers at the places where people are going on a regular basis, and they're going to be staying there for at least twenty to thirty minutes at a time, like grocery stores, you know, so that. Um, you know, you, you're taking away the friction, you know, because for a lot of people, there is still friction and it's, there, there is no one solution that works for everyone. Right. Um, you know, and, and, you know, to, you know, one other thing is that <clears throat> we don't get plug-in vehicles that with that high a level of frequency, you know, whenever I do get one, I do plug it in. You know, I don't have a level two charger yet. I have been um, looking at what it would take to, to put one in. Um, but I, you know, I haven't gotten around to it because I just don't get plug-in vehicles that frequently. Um, but, but I do plug it in when I do. And, you know, I also go and use things like level two chargers, public chargers and DC fast chargers in order to see what the experience is like for consumers that have to rely on those. Um, because that's, that's also part of the ownership experience for many people is relying on public charging. Yeah, I, I agree completely. I mean, so, you know, to Robert's point, I, I'm actually having my electrician uh, come out to the house to look at installing a generator. I had one quote that was $15,000. Thank you. But I'm going to pass on that one. And well, I'm going to ask him also <laughs> about level two chargers because I do have a solar system. I know I've got a 220 volt running in my house, in my garage rather. Uh, and the panel is actually tucked just inside the opening to my garage so it's it could potentially be quite easy i have a perfect spot i think i have a perfect spot for a wall hung charger so i'm going to ask him about both of those things and installing that so it'll be really i'll definitely of course update everyone on what i hear about that Uh, you know so it'll it's something that you know again it's it's an iteration i mean houses didn't have Wi-Fi, you know, or didn't have, you know, Fios and things like that. And so we've got to try though, and get as much of that installed as possible at a reasonable cost. And I would certainly encourage anyone, if you're building a house, like my neighbor is next door and you may or may not hear the hammering of the jackhammer, (laughs) Uh, but you know, make sure that you've got these things wired for sound, wired for, for a 220 volt and wired for fast charging. Yeah. You know, um, it is a good point though. Like, and, and this is like, uh, a lot of us are, um, freelancers. So you can, um, 
commit to purchasing the thing if you're getting a lot of EVs or something. Like there is that that point where it makes sense to to actually purchase the hardware. Um, and then as a freelance automotive journalist, you can you can amortize, you can write it off um, for a bit. Uh, the same as like, there's no way I'm going to buy a really high end camera, but when I need it, I'll rent it. Um, it would be great for media loans if there was some way to um, give us experience with those chargers. But the car companies aren't going to install a charger in every reviewer's house. Like that's not how that's. I actually work. know somebody who got a high speed charger installed in their home by one of the not a not a manufacturer, but one of the high speed charger suppliers. That's tricky. Oh, we'll have to we'll have to reach out to uh, some of those companies and see if they want to do that for us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm All right. Down for free. So let's let's get uh, one more here in before we have to go um, from Robbie Bartholomew. Um, and uh, this is a fairly easy one. Uh, Robbie asks, I wonder whether the rules requiring vehicles to be at least 25 years old are due to the emissions of those vehicles. In other words, could I import a modern VW ID3 electric vehicle that has zero emissions? Uh, Robbie, the answer to your question is no. Um, uh, I looked up on the customs and border protection website and I'll put the link to the the page, uh, in the show notes. Cars go Um, through CBP. I guess they do. Yeah. Customs. Well, yeah. Customs. Um, and so the, the way the rules are, it's actually 21 years for emissions. So, uh, after 20, a, a car that's more than 21 years old, you don't have to update it to pass emissions requirements, modern emissions requirements. Um, the 25-year threshold is actually for federal motor vehicle safety standards. Uh, and while an ID3 probably could pass uh, things like the crash test requirements, excuse me, uh, it probably could pass the crash test requirements uh, if, you, if you crash tested it, uh, it definitely would not pass other requirements like some of the lighting requirements and, and various other rules. And so to import that, you would have to go through and basically do a one-off certification and federalize it uh, to meet current uh, U.S. Uh, motor vehicle safety standards. Um, if you're, what you're interested in is something like the ID3, um, VW will be unveiling the production version of the ID4 in the next few weeks, uh, and it will be going on sale here in the U.S. next year. It'll actually be built in Chattanooga um, and uh, be, be offered available here. And, and there's also lots of other options, but no, you won't be able to import an ID3 right now, um, even even though it has zero emissions. Awesome. And I know we have a couple of other questions, but let's get to those next time. Yeah. Because I think there's some good points there. Yep. All right. So keep the questions rolling in. And in the meantime, we'll keep our eyes on all the nonsense that goes on in the automotive market. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, so hit us up and we'll see everybody next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Bye. everyone. special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.